Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 16. We're going to talk about what it means to bear witness. Uh, our sermon series is Holy Ghost, the God you never knew. And what we mean by that is that for some, we get the, we understand the Trinitarian God that we serve, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit often gets forgotten. We understand God the Father, that we've been redeemed, we've been adopted as children, that God the Son has died on our behalf. It's his shed blood that, that uh, not only atones for our sin, but cleanses us of our sin. But then there's the Holy Spirit, or, or the Holy Ghost, as the King James Version calls it. And many of you from former generations only knew him as the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, uh, not much of a difference. But his role in the life of a Christian is vital. You do not accomplish quote-unquote Christianity without the Holy Spirit. You do not become a Christian, a Christ follower, without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a lesser God, or, or he's not uh, you know, third in rank amongst uh, the Trinitarian God. He is equally God with God the Father and God the Son, yet he has a distinct office as the Father and Son do as well. And so we have to understand who he is, excuse me, what to look for, our part in allowing him to, to move into our lives and become the very power necessary to serve Jesus. Because if we understand who Jesus is, that, that the very Son of God came down to earth and died in our place, became sin for us, the Bible says, uh, and, and knew no sin himself, when we understand that, we we understand that there's a devotion that, that comes along with that. And for some, we hope, or some hope that it's only a, a small devotion. Uh, biblically speaking, it's devoting our entire lives. Romans 12 talks about us coming and presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice before God. And uh, we, don't, we don't make blood sacrifices or, or animal sacrifices for our sin, but as you read the Old Testament, you get the idea that when an animal was sacrificed at the altar of God, it didn't get back up and walk away. It was left there to be a sacrifice on behalf of someone else. Well, now we come, we lay down ourselves. We lay down our, our lives so that we might pick up the life that Jesus has died to give us. And so in this series, it's a 12-part series. I didn't choose that number randomly. It just, uh, I... I pointed out or I found 12 attributes of the Holy Spirit that I thought were most important and most pressing. And my hope is that at the end of this, the Holy Spirit's like a diamond, uh, not just precious, not just valuable, but multifaceted, that, that as you look at a diamond and you watch it uh, go from one side to another, you see the light come through it and, and refract in different ways. And we want you to see the Holy Spirit in the same way. He's not just the Holy Spirit. Uh, he, there's so much to him, honestly, much more than 12 different attributes. But I think that's a good start to become reacquainted with the Holy Spirit so that we can know who he is and also be able to uh, identify and discern what is not the Holy Spirit. Because there are a lot of folks that go and speak on behalf of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they will claim it's the Holy Spirit motivating and driving them, but then they will do things that contradict the Word or contradict Jesus. And so we want to be able to say, you know what? 
maybe I love you. Uh, maybe, maybe you mean well. But I can tell based on the word of God and knowing who the Holy Spirit is that that's not of the Holy Spirit because it contradicts God's word. The Bible says that it is God-breathed. It's the same reference to the Holy Spirit entering Adam in the Garden of Eden. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit will contradict himself uh, in the breathing out of his word and then contradict, say one thing here and then say one thing somewhere else. And so we, we've dealt with that in past sermon series. But today we're going to deal with how the Holy Spirit bears witness to us. Romans 8 and 16 says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you'll just take a moment, let's pray. Jesus, your word is, is good, perfect, it's infallible. Uh, but Lord, we are faulty. We're like buckets with holes, and, and, and you're pouring your spirit into us, and we're just, we're just leaking. And what we're asking, Lord, is that you'd patch up those holes that we might retain, not just the knowledge, Lord, but then, then apply this to our lives as we leave here today. And we give you the praise. May Jesus be high and lifted up. In his name we pray. Amen. One of the biggest issues in our day and age from, from the youngest to the oldest, and this is, a, this is more than just uh, my generation or the generation after me or the generation before me, it has happened since day one, is the issue of identity, how you see yourself. There are times where churches have split, and I, and I, I don't say this jokingly, I say this with all seriousness, churches have split because people's identity were found in some function of the church, and when that function was removed for whatever reason, uh, that person could no longer function. So let's say they were the, the person who did uh, all the outside landscaping, and uh, they took great pride in them. They loved serving the church, but it became who they were. They were the landscape guy. And then something happens financially. They can't support him or her. Uh, this is a hypothetical person. I'm not talking about anybody specific at this point. It's all a, it's all a, an example. Um, or someone else is now. It's their turn to to put their hand to the plow. They have expertise, and now that this person's been removed, they're very angry. They're very very bitter. They're very hurt. They start to hurl allegations against the church. Now this is a a, a worst case scenario, but it's not that uncommon. Because people, when they find their identity in something, they make an idol of it. And when you try to take away somebody's idol, it usually doesn't end well. Jesus, The good news is that Jesus is in the business of smashing our idols for our good, that we can see the faultiness of our idols. The only thing worse, I think, than following a false idol, whether that false idol be an actual statue or maybe just something like work or money or love or sex or lust or whatever – is is never seeing the finiteness of it, how it is limited, how it is, it is really nothing in comparison to the almighty God that we serve. And it is an act of grace for the Lord to show you exactly what you're following, uh, what it is, and how it will end up. I, I think that it's an unloving father who says, just ha just ha that's all you get. I think a very gracious, loving father points out, look, this is, this is how this ends. Millions of people have gone down this same road. They've ended in the same ditch, and you will go the same way. It is an act of grace by God to identify that for you.
And so as Christians, we have to be mindful that our identity, first and foremost, always comes from the fact that we are children of God, that we were adopted by God, not by our own will, not by our own volition, not because we gave God a great sales pitch and made a lot of promises to him, but because he first loved us, the Bible says. That while we were still sinners, while we, while we were still dirty and, 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 and just wrong and dead in our sins, that God came along and adopted us as his children. That by faith and through faith alone, expressed in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, do we become these children. This is our identity. This is the identity of a Christ follower. First and foremost. Now, after that, you might have lots of talents and attributes and things that you're very proficient at. But these things are a distant second to our primary identity, being a child of God. And Paul, in chapter 8 of the book of Romans, is telling the Roman church the very same thing that I'm telling you now. That our identity is found in being children of God. I can't think of any other phrase, title, or position that I feel less adequate to have. As, this, as I preach this and I talk about I myself being a child of God, because the Bible has told me this, it's not something I instantly gravitate to. It's not something I latch onto and say, yes, I am a child of God. I have a thousand and one reasons why I should not be a child of God, why I should not be adopted, why God should not love me. And often those, I'll call them hesitancies, they lead me to more problems than anything else. Because either I adopt a false identity, or I adopt a false sense of, of self-esteem, or, or, or just a, a sense of pride that shouldn't be there. I'm not here to preach to you today that, that you're just going to put on this jacket or this cloak of being a child of God and everything will be fine. What I'm telling you is, is that some of us, we need to, to let down our guard, allow the Lord to, to destroy some walls in our life so that we can accept this truth. Because honestly, this is what Jesus died to give you. Jesus' very blood was shed so that you might become a child of God. But see, I could stay up here all day. I could preach till I'm blue in the face. I could preach until it's warm again <laughs> and not minus five degrees outside. I could just preach and preach and talk and teach and pitch and, and just try to convince you. And it will fall on deaf ears. A, I'm a bad salesman. I think I've pointed that out. A lot of times but secondly it was a then B um, secondly that's not my job preachers their job is to proclaim we're here whether there are one of you or a hundred of you we are here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus it is God's job through the Holy Spirit to bear witness to you we are called as as Christians to be um, disciple makers we are called to have church like we're having now um, it's one of the reasons why I don't I won't cancel a, a Sunday morning service we might postpone and be a little late and that sort of thing <clears throat> but I will be here uh, whether it's minus five or whatever uh, because somebody might show up on a Sunday 
and need to hear the gospel of Jesus. My job is to proclaim. It's Jesus' job through the Holy Spirit to bear witness to us about that. What does that mean? That means that, that his testimony comes and joins in with you. We're talking about unity between you and God. That it's not a, it's not a, 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 a sales pitch, if you will. It is being transformed by the very Holy Spirit of God. You see, that is his job to bear witness. We might share our testimonies with folks, and testimonies are very powerful. They're kind of like a double-edged sword, though. Sometimes for some people it might be very powerful. For others it might make them feel inadequate. Testimonies can go one of two ways like that. However, our testimony, as powerful as it can be, um, it still is up to the Holy Spirit to show us to join with us, to, to unite with us, so that we might understand this at a deeper level than just our mind, or just a deeper level than just, well, I don't believe it, but I accept it. And not that, you know, not that that's a bad start, but that's certainly not how we're supposed to live our lives. There's this old saying, fake it until you make it. It's it's a big it's a big saying in like sales and 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 in the in the business world where you just pretend that you're rich or you pretend that you're successful until one day you are. You act like you're there before you get there. Um, Christianity just does a big nosedive if you try to do that. If anything, Christianity grows, the, the, the kingdom of God grows as we admit our failures. Gosh, I'm just not – I can't do this. This is too hard. I, I don't know how this is working, but it does. Jesus is the one who was glorified. Jesus is the one doing all the work. And thus people see that and, and gravitate towards it rather than gravitate towards you who might be faking it until you make it. So here is, here is the double the, – the, the, the two sides of this coin. We have the Holy Spirit who bears witness to us, and then we are called to bear witness to the world. We are called to preach the gospel. We are called to make disciples. We are called to, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are called to pray. We are called to rejoice. We are called to be thankful. And, and many folks keep their Christianity very silent. Um, some people do that on purpose. The theory is, is that I will show them my Christianity before, before I open my mouth. And I don't think that's the worst idea. I think uh, I think going the other way, just talking about it and never showing it is, is much more dangerous. But both of those are incomplete. We are called to do both, to live for Christ, to show Jesus through our, our actions or our deeds, but then also proclaim him with our words. Um, it's not an either-or scenario. We don't get to pick and choose the one that we're more comfortable with. We get to do both. You might struggle with that. Well, I don't know about that. I'm not so good. I don't know. all. The, I've never read the Bible all the way through. I just don't know where all the verses are. Uh, join the club. I don't know where they're all at either. But here's what I know. This is still our calling. Here's the, here's the good news silver lining to that. We all bear witness to something every day. Maybe it's a sports team, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's your job or business, maybe it's it's who you love, maybe it's uh, just something that you do really well. You bear witness to it. I remember once um, when Netflix first began streaming their videos, 
we were having a conversation with someone. We were just we were enamored by Netflix. I could watch anything all the time. We're no longer bound to to have to watch commercials and have to be home at a certain time to catch our favorite program. I can watch it anytime I want, as many episodes as I'd like. And we just went back and forth about how great Netflix was. So we had we had just been changed and affected by something so trivial that we were able to share that with one another. Many of you go and you'll see somebody do something, maybe in your line of work, and you'll go over to them. You'll see them using, uh, you know, as a musician, uh, someone will come and, and they'll show me their guitar and I'll say, you know, or one they might potentially buy. And I'll say, you know, that's a, that's a good one, but let me tell you about this brand. Let me tell you about this model. Let me tell you about the, the years in which that was made and, and the years you want to avoid. Because just bearing witness about the things that I know. The things that, that you know, you do the same thing with your tools. You do the same thing with cooking. You, you ever go online and look up recipes? You can literally type in like chicken breast and rice and have so many different recipes pop up. Because everybody is bearing witness to their recipe, their mode of, of operating, their mode of putting things together. We all bear witness to something. Facebook. Everybody's bearing witness to something. Um, go on Facebook, if you're brave, and just type in something about Obama, good or bad. Um, and, and you will find people that you didn't even know you were friends with or had access to your page who will come down and virtually burn down your Facebook page, pro or con. Because people are ready to bear witness about something, about a political view or their morality. And I'm not saying one view is right or, or wrong. I'm just saying everybody bears witness to something. So it's not an issue of, of being able to bear witness. We all do that. It's being able to bear witness and to share Jesus in a way that's authentic, in a way that's genuine. There are lots of, of I'll call them programs or Bible studies or DVDs and ministries where they will teach you words to say to best corner somebody into a decision about Jesus. Um, I find that cornering a person to make a choice about Jesus is much like trying to corner a rabid dog and get away with containing them without getting bit. I don't have a lot of success in that. It's not that you can't be successful in bearing witness about Jesus in that way. I just find that in my walk and in our area and in our culture and where we've been planted, it doesn't work all that great. If anything, there are times where it drives people away rather than drawing them in because I've tricked them or manipulated them into thinking something. Um, I would much rather just tell them how great Jesus is. You know, I don't have to manipulate or corner somebody into trying a piece of cake, do I? I just say, here's cake. And most people, whether they know I can cook or bake or not, they'll take the cake. And they'll find out by tasting it, oh, Tony doesn't know what he's doing. Um, nobody should let him bake ever again. Where's his wife? Um, people will just say, oh, cake. Yeah, I know about cake. Yeah, I'll try your cake. Yeah, I don't say, well, have you ever thought about cake? Can I, can I tell you? Why this cake is the best cake out of all the cakes? Can I tell you about the different elements in the cake? Can I tell you about the flour at stone ground? Oh, just take the cake. Eat the cake. It's got frosting and a little flour on it. I'll eat the cake. It's the same thing with Jesus. This is Jesus. He loves you. 
He loves you more than you don't love him. He loves you more than the sin that you love. He loves you more. And, and we change our our demeanor based on the circumstance. You know, somebody who's being obstinate, you're going to deal with them a little differently than somebody who's broken down and crying in front of you. You know, somebody's breaking down and crying, you don't just yell at them. Well, Jesus is your propitiation. I don't know what that means. Neither do I, but I'm going to shout it at you. We can change our demeanor. We can we can love those people who are broken down and crying. When when someone's being obstinate, we can walk away. I don't have to win every battle. Someone starts mouthing off about this and that about Jesus and and that and, and okay, have fun with that. You know, you know where I'll be when you're done with that. Good luck and God bless. And then have a civil discussion later. The point is this: is we have to be ready. To bear witness. The good news is, is that A, we already bear witness, and B, if the Holy Spirit bears witness to us, which he is called to do, which he has come to do, then our work is very minimal. I want to first, before we go any further, I want to attack some of the reasons why we get sidelined or blindsided uh, into not sharing the gospel of Jesus. We already bear witness about stuff, so that should be our first obstacle and our, our first uh, roadblock taken out of the way. But here are some of the reasons why uh, you know, people have shared with me why they don't share their faith with other people. You know, we live in a, in a postmodern age, a post-Christian age. A generation ago, it was just assumed everybody was a Christian. It was just assumed everybody went to church. If you did not go to church or identify as a Christian, um, you were the weirdo. Like there was something wrong with you. Um, why don't you do these things? Now, it has nothing to do with their actual salvation. It has nothing to do with their actual faith. It's just how they identified themselves. But we've come to an age where those people have sort of just fallen away, and we live in, a, in an age where probably less than 10% of our country are actual Christians who believe that Jesus died for their sins, that they are sinners, that the Bible is inerrant, that it's God's word, that there is one God and no other gods. I mean, that 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 shrinks that number down really, really small. So sharing our faith becomes a little trickier. But the command is still there to do so, so we've got we've to get through these roadblocks to get to the truth so that we might become people who share our faith with other people. So number one is lack of information. This is usually the first one. Lack of information. I, I just don't know enough. I remember when I was approached to preach my first Bible study, I thought to myself, I've never, I don't think at that time I had ever even read a book of the Bible, let alone the whole Bible. And now I'm going to teach about the Bible. I was given a good, you know, like three weeks to prepare, uh, came up with about a 17 minute Bible study in an hour's time. Um, didn't go so great. I didn't think it was all that earth shattering or, or anything. When I was done, I was very grateful that it was over. Um, but I remember feeling like I lacked a lot of information. I just didn't know enough, you know. I knew about Jesus. I knew about I knew about you know forgiveness. I knew about salvation in the cross. I knew that we should go to church, and I think that was about it. Anything more than that, I've already forgotten. Lack of information. Most people. Well, I, what if they ask me this question? What if they ask me that question? That you know, this is a a, a legitimate response. A lack of information. You can't share what you do not have. Now, I don't want to discount God. He can do miraculous things. If he can talk through a donkey, he certainly can talk through us. That's sort of the Christian cliche. But 
Fear has a heyday in our mind and hearts when we lack the information to share about Jesus. When, when if somebody asks just the right question, we'll be stumped and just, I don't know, come to church with me and ask my pastor. And then I, I have to point to somebody. I don't know, go talk to that guy. What do you do if you lack that information or that wisdom? I understand that that could be a roadblock, but this is one of the easiest roadblocks, if you will, to plow right through. Do you know how you change that? You read the Bible. It's very simple. We all have access to the Bible. Between, between my actual Bible and my phone, I have like 7,000 Bible versions in my pocket right now. I have no lack of information. You can go to a Bible bookstore, and if you ask them to help you find you a Bible, it's like they've won the lottery. Like they will be exuberant, balloons will fall from the ceiling, and you will be the guy who came and asked about Bible translations and which ones are best for you. They will love you. Just go browse around the Bibles, and people will be Johnny on the spot. Can I help you find anything? We have no excuse for not reading the Bible. There is plenty of days that go by. I'm, I, I am a total hypocrite. There are plenty of days that go by where I do not crack open my Bible. But I tell you, when that happens, I know that I have not done that. I know how detrimental that is to me, not only as, as a Christian, but as a dad. And not just as a dad, but as a pastor. And so I do my best to not let a day or more go by before I read my Bible again. My general practice is to, to read it before I read anything else. You know, I don't, I don't read another book on theology or another pastor or teacher's work before I read the Bible first. Because I don't want to be moved and motivated by cultural trends. I want to be moved and motivated by the Spirit of God and His Word. And then, then I'll gravitate towards other books that I might read, whether they be fiction or nonfiction. In John chapter 3, you guys might know John 3.16, it's a pretty famous verse. But that whole discourse is between Jesus and a guy named Nicodemus in the middle of the night. Nicodemus has come to Jesus in the middle of the night because, well, it's not exactly kosher for a Jewish leader to talk to Jesus openly without accusation. If Nicodemus was coming to accuse Jesus and to spar with Jesus, that would be okay. But to actually seek Jesus for answers... That means you come and you have this clandestine meeting with Jesus and you do it without other people watching and you do it uh, in secrecy so that you don't get found out that you've been talking to this rabbi who doesn't agree with the cultural views of that day. And Jesus tells him, you've got to be born again. And that's like, for Nicodemus, it's like getting hit upside the head with a baseball bat. He just, what do you mean be born again? How do I crawl back into my mother's womb to be born again? The idea was completely foreign and Jesus said, you're a teacher and you don't know this? I mean, can you imagine showing up to math class in seventh grade and your math teacher not knowing what two plus two is? You're a math teacher? You don't know basic math and you're going to teach me algebra? How does that work? You're a, you're a teacher of the law? You're a Pharisee? You're a rabbi? But you don't know about being born again? No, Jesus asks these questions sometimes. When we, when we say dumb stuff like this, I believe that he's still capable of asking us these types of questions. He's loving, he's kind, but he's straightforward as well. 
He tells Nicodemus, we, that is Jesus and his followers, we speak of what we know. We speak of what we've seen. We speak of what we have experienced. And if you have not read the Bible, and if you have not studied it, if you have not devoted time to it, it is very unlikely, without a miracle of God, that you will be able to share Jesus in a way that goes beyond just Jesus loves you. This I know. And that's a profound truth, and it's a great thing to share. But going deeper than that with people who will have real honest questions, you do yourself a disservice and them a disservice by not studying the Word of God. It's such an easily correctable uh, thing in your life. If you don't know which Bible to get or how to get a Bible or where to get a Bible, I would be glad to help you. You can get it on your phone for free. You can get it on a Kindle for free. It's the, 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 the best-selling book of all time. There's no excuse why we shouldn't have a Bible and, and not read it. Number two is lack of conviction. These first three uh, are fairly easy to correct or, or identify, I should say. It's the last one that we're really going to drive home. The first one, lack of information, read your word. This one is lack of conviction. Maybe you understand that church is a good thing. You know, you grew up in the church and you went to the potlucks and you saw the coat drives and you just, yeah, they do good stuff down there. And you under, you read about Jesus and he says, love others as you love yourself and, and you know, do unto others and all that. And you say, you know, that Jesus sounds like a pretty nice guy. Like he knew what he was talking about. That was pretty revolutionary. But maybe you see him. In the same light that you would see somebody like Buddha or, or, or Gandhi or Martin Luther King, you see him as a, as a righteous man or a holy man, but you don't see him as God. And, and more than that, you don't see him as your savior. You simply see him as a, as a prophet or, or a great teacher or rabbi or, or, or something of that nature. And so, well, yeah, why would you share Jesus at that point? Your testimony about him will not be that he has come to die for our sins. Your testimony will be that he's a great teacher. And don't get me wrong, Jesus is the greatest of teachers. Jesus is, is the prophet foretold in the Old Testament when, when through Moses God spoke to the people saying a prophet would come from you know, their midst and that they should listen to him. That was Jesus. But Jesus is not simply a prophet or simply a teacher or simply a good or holy man. Jesus is God. And, and if we are vacillating, I, I do the same thing that I said for the first one. Read your Bible. Go to the Word of God. Read the Gospels. Read it a chapter at a time. Read it chunks at a time. Just read about Jesus. Read his words. Read what he says about himself. There are really only two responses when it comes to Jesus. Either he is God or he is not. Either he told the truth or he lied. There's no middle ground. The Gospels demand a response. Do you follow or do you not? There is no third area. And I find that, especially in our church and in our day and age, that the whole cornering people to make a choice about Jesus doesn't work because so many people are in this in-between stage where, where I, I know, but I don't know. I grew up, but I... I it was forced upon me, and I never made a decision for myself, and, and I want to know, but I'm so busy. And, and there's this lack of conviction about who Jesus is. And so for me, it's about growing with other people, 
teaching them, showing them. Let me tell you what the Bible says here. Let me show you what the Bible says here. Let me testify to you as to what it says in this part or give you this testimony or share these people with you. A lack of conviction is a great hindrance to sharing the gospel because you're not a Christian yet. You have yet to put both feet into Jesus' boat. Now, one more metaphor, you're on the wrong side of the fence. Because I tell you, when you meet Jesus, when you give your life to him, when you understand grace and you understand mercy and you understand your sin and how in the presence of God it's an abomination and how he has taken that away from you himself, the natural byproduct is devotion. As a matter of fact, when we, when we give our life to Jesus, you feel like you're cheating him. When you truly understand the gospel, you give him your life and you realize this is not a worthy trade. This is not a worthy sacrifice for God to give himself and me to give myself. I come out the winner. He gets shortchanged, not me. And, and then if Satan gets involved, well, I got to start giving more. There's this, there's this unholy guilt that develops where, where I'll just keep working to make sure that he loves me. Church, there is, there is a guilt that is good. You should feel guilty if you have sinned. If you don't feel guilty that you've sinned, there's a problem. But there should be a, 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 a righteous guilt that motivates you to repentance, but not motivates you to try to pay back God, because you'd never be able to do that. A holy, God, a holy guilt leads you to repentance. An unholy guilt leads you to bondage. And a works relationship with God. I'll just keep working to make sure that He loves me, that He cares for me, that He takes, that He approves of me. And when you have a holy guilt that leads to repentance, you realize I don't deserve this, yet God gives it to me, and I'm not worthy of it, but He still gives it to me, and I devote myself to Him. Number three is lack of interest. Uh, I am obligated by my licensing to give one corny pastor joke a week. So here it comes. Teacher asked a kid, what is the definition of apathy and ignorance? He said, I don't know and I don't care. But I've met my quota for the week. I don't like corny jokes. Um, you can tell by my delivery. But that speaks volumes when it comes to lack of interest. Some folks just don't like other people. You know, I'll tell you honestly, by nature, I'm a homebody. Like, I like being at home. When it's minus five, I especially like to be at home. Because you go outside and stuff just breaks. Have you noticed that? I was I was shoveling out here this morning, and I hit the railing, and I broke it. Like, I got to tell Mark that. So I, <laughs> I just hit it and just cracked. Somebody on Facebook the other day, they dropped a, 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 a friend of ours at another church, dropped an 18-inch uh, crescent wrench, and it shattered when it hit the cement. I mean, being outside right now is not fun. People this morning were going by on snowmobiles. It'll be like 20 on Tuesday. Just right now, stay home. Get a hot cup of coffee or hot chocolate. Turn up whatever heat source you have and turn on Netflix. Like, don't even bother. Like, you got to go to work. I get that. But come home and just put on some pajamas. So I, I, am, I'm, I am a homebody. My wife, God bless her, she gets me out to do stuff that I wouldn't naturally do, um, and, I, and I praise God for her. But some people, like, like me, if I was unchecked and, and, and just left alone, 
would have this apathy or this or this lack of interest to share the gospel. You would not see people as Jesus described them, a, a, a field of wheat ready to be harvested. You would see them as a burden. You see them as work. You see them as costing you something. And I'll tell you today that this this is, I, you know, how are you going to share the gospel with somebody if you don't want to be around people? I have nothing against people. My homebodiness has everything to do with my home and how warm it is. I want to stay there, right? You want to come to my house? Fine. Like, that's great. But for people who don't like other people, it's going to be really hard to share the gospel and to make disciples when they're a burden to you. And so this one here is, is really tricky because if this is where you find yourself, if you're relating to this going, yeah, okay, Pastor Tony, now you're speaking to me. I don't like people. This is a red flag. I, I question the validity of your Christianity. If you have been forgiven by Jesus and the Holy Spirit now resides in you and you don't like people, the very people that Jesus came to save, then, then there's a breakdown somewhere. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you are saved. What I'm saying is there's a problem somewhere. The check engine light is on and we've got to figure out what that's trying to tell us. Why are you not so gung-ho with people? I get it. Some people are hard, right? Some of you who deal with... Uh, deal with the public on a daily basis. You have customers or people who, they're a joy to be around. And other people, it's like, I hope they're not home. I hope that they're out. You see them at Walmart. I hope they didn't see me. You just take off the other direction, like, oh, goodness. All of a sudden, you're looking at, you know, hosiery. You're, you know, as a guy, that's weird. Like, looking at a hosiery. I don't even know what hosiery is. I'm looking at it. So they don't see you. Do I have any identifying markers on me? Like, okay, are they, are they gone? Good. Whew. That's not good, right? That's not good. You're not going to share the gospel if that's our mentality. And if that's our mentality, we have to repent of that. If we are a Christian, we should not feel right about that, and we should repent to God for that. Praise God for the grace to repent of it. Because we will not share the gospel with anybody if we see people as a burden. As he, as, if we see people only as a burden. Some people can be burdensome. Some people are very needy. We understand that. But to see the, their burden as greater than the command to serve them is a problem. And so our answer to that is simply repentance. Asking God to change our heart. So that we can... As as Paul told Timothy, to preach the word, to go out, to, to serve and to love and to be the ministers that he's called us to be. The last one, this is the this is the biggest obstacle, is the lack of reality. The truth that I that we started off with, that we are children of God. Most people, you talk about us being sinners. If you get over that hump, then they realize, yep, oh gosh, I've, I've done this, I've done that, I am dirty, I am ashamed, I, I have lusted, I have lied, I have cheated, I have, I have found new ways to break all of the commandments. And how could a holy God ever love an unholy me? 
Church, I'll just to be transparent, this one bothers me more than the other three combined. The idea that this very God that I preach about today, perfect and holy and just, really thinks about me, really cares that he adopted me, really desires to have my to have my relationship with him, to be in relationship with me. We preach that we, we follow a relationship and not a religion, but we also always see it from ourselves to God. But God desires a relationship with us. God desires to be reconciled to us. And there are a few truths, if any, that are harder for me as a person to, to adopt and to graft into my life. I tell you, the only times where I do is the Holy Spirit of God bearing witness that I am a child telling me adamantly and imploring and telling and proclaiming to me that I am a very child of God. Not because I'm worthy, not because I'm perfect, but because God is. And church, nothing, nothing changes me as a person more radically than this truth. When, when I feel down about myself, I have a false sense of self-esteem and, and I'm kicking myself and, 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 or I'm feeling prideful, go the other opposite direction. Nothing is more polarizing than this truth. If I am being prideful, being reminded that I am a child of God knocks me down a few pegs. If I fall into false pride of low self-esteem and I'm not worthy and I blah, 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 the child of God identity lifts me back up and tells me the truth. Here's the good news. God pursues us. You ever been on the hunt for something? Like not literally hunting. I've never done that. But, but for some people, other things are like hunting, shopping. Like you like to go to garage sales and thrift – I mean you don't go to garage sales now, but estate sales and thrift stores because you go there. Some people go there in necessity, and that's cool. But some people go there because of the hunt of what you might find and the story that comes with that. I went to the thrift store and I rummaged through some things and lo and behold, I found this pair of shoes that was like $500 for a nickel. And not only do you have the $500 shoes for a nickel, you have the story that goes along with that. But you don't, you just don't stumble upon those things it it takes going to the thrift store day in and day out and hunting and searching and and a lot of losses to one day find oh the shoes or the or the backpack or the the clothes or the the piece of electronics whatever it might be like for me it's always i'm always hoping that i find some really amazingly expensive and, and antique acoustic guitar for like a dollar like somebody's gonna be like i don't know what this martin guitar is uh, you can have it for a dollar. Oh, trying to keep my composure. Sure. I'll, how about 75 cents? Oh, sure. And then I run away in the night. Just, yeah, I got this guitar that's like $1,000 for 75 cents. It's the hunt. It's the pursuit. It's the going after. I One last testimony. I was trying to teach my son just last night. I, I bought him this little Lego guy. Love Lego guys, but they're tiny and pieces get lost. And with little sisters, little pieces get lost a lot quicker. So he can't find it. I hate losing stuff. I do. 
um, since I was a little kid, like if I lost something, I just, that's it. I got to find it. I got to find my toy. I got to find this thing. Ethan lost the hat to his little, you know, sheriff Lego guy. So we had to find it. And so then I started teaching him how to find, how to look, what to do, how to, like, it was almost like a forensics, uh, thing where I'm saying, okay, this is where we sit and we, we have a parameter. Your sister can only go so far. And, and we look under beds and we look inside boxes. The pursuit of something shows the desire of our hearts. The very fact that God pursues you, he goes after you, shows you that he loves you. He doesn't pursue you or go after you to punish you. Let, let that sink in for a moment. He, he knows where you are. He knows, he knows that he has the right to, to destroy you for your sin. We get that. But instead, he, he pursues you to show you that he, you are his child, that he is your dad, that Jesus has died to give you that, that, that identity. One of my favorite Christian authors is a man by the name of A.W. Tozer. I, I, I gravitate towards him um, because he wasn't this guy who went to college for years and years and years. He was a guy who barely finished high school and then just started preaching the gospel and he did so for decades and when you read his works there's conviction there is there is hope there's joy and, and this quote this is what he said did you ever stop to think that god is going to be as pleased to have you with him in heaven as you are to be there see we 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 know we want to go to heaven. If our choices are heaven and hell, yeah, we're going to choose heaven. Adoy. We're not going to choose hell. And when we get there, we understand that it's going to be a place that's unlike any other we've ever experienced. And it's just going to be magnificent. That our bodies will be changed so that we can, we can actually experience it without just being annihilated. It will be the essence of joy. It will be the essence of 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 uh, redemption and being joined with God and reconciled forever. But we never consider God's joy in having us there. Church, what I'm hoping is that understanding that, that God is, is not just a God, but he's a loving father willing to sacrifice himself for you, that he did so to bring you into his home. And he doesn't look at you as, that's the kid I had to die for. He looks at you as, that's the child I willingly died for because I love him. I love her. He is my son. She is my daughter. Church, there is nothing more polarizing than that. There is nothing more convicting than that. There is nothing more hopeful than that. And we get that because of Jesus. So this is why Christians love Jesus so much. And sometimes we, we can't even express it. We sing songs and preach Bible studies and sermons, and still it's just it's, it's inadequate. But we love Jesus because he's loving us. He's pursuing us. We, we, we're the little sheep that go off, and he comes after us, brings us back into the fold. Church, as cliche as it sounds, Jesus loves you. And your action and your challenge today is to accept that.
without explanation. Because as soon as I say accept that, but Pastor Tony, you don't know. Pastor Tony, here's what I have done. Pastor Tony, how could he? Well, if I look at myself, I have the same questions and, and, and I have the same answers. That's why he's God and we're not. So church, maybe, maybe we lack the ability to share the gospel because we do not accept the gospel. God has shown us the gospel. God has preached to us the good news. We understand Jesus and sin and all that. But we are on the inside secretly afraid to accept it. I want today to be that day where you accept it. You say, you know what, Lord? I still have a thousand and one objections. But I'm going to let them burn up as I lay myself down as a sacrifice. And not only am I putting to death my sinful nature, I'm putting to death this idea that I am not worthy. Jesus, you are worthy. Because of you, I am made holy. Because of you, I now have your righteousness. In hopes that just, just understanding that little bit of truth, that in the weeks to come, the months to come, and even the rest of this year, that the obstacles of sharing your faith and bearing witness to others will actually be a byproduct of the Holy Spirit bearing witness to you. Here's the bad news of all this. I can't make you believe this. There's no checklist that I make you do or some test on the internet where, you know, do you accept it or not? It takes the Holy Spirit. That's the whole essence of this, the Holy Spirit bearing witness to you today. So let's stand. Sarah, do you want to play piano for us just a little bit? I'll move my guitar so it's not in your way. Some of you might be saying, I don't understand this message. I don't I don't know what that means. I, I I kind of get it, but I need more clarity. Some of you might be saying, oh man, this is the last thing I wanted to hear because I didn't want to make this decision today. Well, I'm going to pray for you. One of the things I love about South Bay Chapel is that we're we're a family first and foremost. Uh, sometimes we look like a dysfunctional family, but a lot of the best families do, don't they? The fact is, is that in spite of our, our differences or those things that might cause the dysfunction, we love each other because Jesus first loves, loves us, and, and we like to pray for one another. So I want to pray for you. As I pray, feel free to, to vocalize your prayer as well. Uh, be mindful of the folks around you and all that, but just feel free to, to kind of let go for just a moment. Jesus, Jesus, your word says it plainly and perfectly that your Holy Spirit bears witness that we are the children of God. Now, I'll be honest with you, Lord. We don't always feel like the children of God. Sometimes we feel dirty and ashamed. Sometimes we feel apathetic. Sometimes we feel the exact opposite, Lord. And in those moments of truth where, where we do begin to see glimpses and glimmers of the reality of being a child of God, it causes us to run away. And I don't know why it, it does that, Lord, but it does. So I'm praying for myself, for our church, and for your people that the reality 
that only comes through the Holy Spirit bearing witness to us would be just that, our reality. That our, that our new position found only in Christ would become our identity. That we are not the sin we've committed. We are not the sins committed against us. Lord, that we are not the, the bad decisions we've made and we're not the good decisions we've made. We're not our successes. We are not our talents. We are children of the Most High God because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And Lord, I pray with everything I've got this morning that the Holy Spirit would come in and tell that to your people, join to your people, that they might see and understand and accept and, and live in that moment and in that place. That you would become the very desire of their heart. Above all things, above all other desires, Lord, that Jesus, you would become their desire. We love you, Lord. For those of us who have lacked the information, Lord, we, we repent. Help us to read our Bibles. Help us to understand as we read. Help us to listen to and, and find good uh, helps to, to lead us through uh, the Bible. For those of us who lack conviction, Lord, I pray today would be a day where we make a choice based on the, the impression of your Holy Spirit upon our heart that we would understand that Jesus is God and that as God he has died for us, that he loves us and that you are great and mighty and awesome and amazing. That if we are apathetic towards people, Lord, that, that we would repent of that as well. That we would indeed see every person as the as the harvest that's ready to be brought in. And again, Lord, to remember that we are children of God. In the good times and in the bad times, we are your child. We are your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, I love you. South Bay Chapel loves you. You are children of God and you are the church of God. Go out from this place and embrace those truths and face the problems of your week head on knowing that Jesus is with you and loves you and cares for you. I have this bad habit of being a really, like, like to the point of delusion optimist. In every other part of the world, yeah, it's probably silly, but in Christianity... My hope is in Jesus. I believe that your marriages, that your finances, that your health, that your children, that your parents, that the very best is yet to come, not because of any other reason than God is good. And so go out in that hopeful expectation of your week. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your week.